everyone. This is Maxine Ryan with Crossword Podcast, and we've got an awesome guest for you today, um, who's Jordan Spence, who's from uh, MyCrypto.com. Uh, he's actually the CMO of MyCrypto.com, so it's going to be really great to get his insights on the platform, how to use it, and everything in between. But before we get into that, I'd really love to thank our sponsor, Future Fund, for sponsoring this week's episode. Um, Future Fund is an incredible fund. You guys should really check it out in the description box below. So Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. So um, for those who don't know, why don't you give a bit of an introduction about yourself? Like, I know that you've had a background, I think, at Nerdist and like, you know, Mm -hmm. pretty much like non-crypto stuff. And now you're like full into crypto. So how did you make that jump? Yeah, so I started my career uh, in esports, actually. I was at a live streaming service called Azubu, which is a competitor to Twitch TV, which is very popular these days. Yeah. And um, I went from there to like traditional film and media and pop culture stuff like Nerdist. And uh, I kind of fell into cryptocurrency. It was kind of uh, unplanned. And um, in 2017, I heard of Ethereum. And uh, I had known about Bitcoin like back in 2013, long time ago, but I didn't really get involved in it. Um, and I heard about Ethereum in 2017 because a friend just messaged me saying, hey, have you heard of this, this new thing called Ethereum? It's like taking off. And uh, I ended up buying some that same day. And um, you know, the price started skyrocketing in 2017 in the, in the crazy bull run. And um, I was like, okay, I would like to get more Ethereum because... <laughs> This, this is taking off. And uh, so, so initially my, my intentions getting the crypto were, were, they were financial based. Like I want to make money with this. And um, I didn't know much about the technology at all. I was kind of, um, I was shallow, I guess. Mm. And um, I was like, all right, how do I get more involved in Ethereum, learn more about it and obtain more eventually? And so I was like, okay, maybe I can get into the business side of things. So by complete happenstance, uh, I reached out to uh, my Ether wallet on Twitter. Um, I don't I don't remember what triggered me to reach out to them, but I did. And uh, Taylor Monahan, who was the kind of leading the project at the time, she re- she responded to me and we ended up having conversations and uh, I told her, hey, I could, I could do X, Y, and Z for you guys. I can help with the marketing. And uh, she's like, yeah, that sounds great. We'd love to have you. And I ended up being, I think the, like the third full-time employee there in 2017. And um, the rest is history. Yeah. Uh, so right place at the right time, kind of fell into it. And uh, here we are today. It's pretty amazing because I think that that story is pretty like usual in the crypto space. Like a lot of people are just like, oh, we just met on Twitter and all of a sudden they're running <laughs> running companies together, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, what, what was it about Ethereum that got you more interested than Bitcoin? Because usually people buy their Bitcoin first and then Ethereum right. probably like back in the day. Now people kind of their introduction is all across the board. But what was it yeah. about Ethereum that kind of made you take that bunch? Well, so I had heard of Bitcoin, I think in 2013, and uh, you know, I was I was still pretty young, and didn't really have a bunch of time or money to invest into it. And um, you know, if, if Ethereum didn't launch, I probably would not have gotten interested because a friend wouldn't have reached out to me because um, I wasn't like inherently interested in cryptocurrency at the time. But the friend reaching out to me was what said like, "Hey, check this new thing out." And then it just so happened to be that this new thing was this amazing platform that enabled smart contracts that enabled, you know, all these tokens and things. And, um, you know, initially I was, I was in it for the, you know, for the number go up, uh, narrative, <laughs> but over, <laughs> yeah, literally, um, but over time, you know, being involved in the space, I've kind of grown a passion for it. And I've, I've kind of understood the differences and the similarities between Bitcoin and Ethereum and, you know, working so closely with Ethereum, I think it's kind of a, it's kind of natural that I'm a bit more involved in it and a bit more interested in it. And I, and I will say that uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin both have their places. Um, I, I, I love both. Uh, I love Ethereum a little bit more just because I'm involved in it. Um, but I really think that Ethereum has the chance to change the financial system. Um, 
Bitcoin does its job very well, but we've seen, you know, DeFi taking off in the Ethereum space and it's actually like producing really cool results and really yeah. cool things. And that's what excites me. Um, and that's, that's probably why I'm more aligned with Ethereum at this time as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, um, you know, when I started, there was only Bitcoin and mm-hmm. Ethereum wasn't even really around yet. And um, it was, I think at that time, it was easier to like look at Ethereum and be like, oh, well, this could be something similar to Bitcoin or like, you know, have a different use case. Yeah. But I think for those who are like newer to the space where there are just so many different cryptocurrencies popping up, it's easy to kind of go, oh, well, I just want to focus on Bitcoin only. But I totally agree. I think that Ethereum is amazing in its ability to scale to the needs of society. Um, and I want to see Bitcoin get there as well. But I think it's like healthy competition. Um, mm-hmm. And you see it growing in different areas too. But I couldn't agree more. Like I think that they they both have their place. Um, so yeah. did you know that you just wanted to join my crypto team? Or was it that you were kind of like looking for um, something to do in that space originally? Or was it just kind of like, yeah, random serendipity? It was 100% random. <laughs> Um, and, uh, that's, you know, I'm extremely thankful that, you know, being that random, I fell into my ether wallet, uh, because there couldn't have been a better place to receive me. Um, it was, you know, it was established, it was growing rapidly. Uh, there was a quick way for me to fill a a gap in what they, what they didn't have, they didn't have any marketing. And, um, so it just kind of, it just worked out. Um, it was, it was the right place at the right time. And, uh, you know, we, we did a, a brand fork, uh, in 2018 to my crypto and, um, I just, you know, stuck, stuck with the team and, uh, here we are, what, three plus years later. And, um, it just, it's just, just a natural fit. And, and as a result, I've, you know, become an expert in wallets pretty much yeah. and like, and privacy and security and stuff like that. And, uh, I, I would not trade it for the world really. Yeah, I love that. Um, so, you know, I, I think the really interesting thing at the moment is that when somebody buys their first cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. they um, immediately buy it from like the easiest retailer. So that might be Coinbase or an exchange. And they don't, their first introduction is not so much about, you know, the difference between cold and hot storage, why privacy matters, like owning your keys and things like that. Do you want to give just a quick overview about, um, you know, the differences in wallets and what somebody Mm -hmm. should consider when maybe purchasing their first cryptocurrency or even storing their cryptocurrency now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll start by saying I I love Coinbase. I love um, Kraken, all the centralized services. They play a really important role, I think. Uh, because not everyone is going to be ready right off the bat to to manage their own funds and to be self custodied. Um, so, like if you know, my mom and my dad, they both have a little bit of crypto, and I tell them both, like, use Coinbase. Like, this is safe. It's going to have familiar functions you're, you're used to, like like a, like a bank, not a bank, but you know, similar. Um, and for all intents and purposes, it's a safe place for you to begin your cryptocurrency journey. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think some people are so decentralization maximalists that they would like people to jump into the deep end immediately. And that's how mistakes happen. And that's how you lose all your funds. Uh, because you know, if, if you're self-custodying, if that's a word, um, your responsibility, yeah, it's it's a lot of responsibility, and, and if you make one mistake, and it's all it's all gone. And sometimes you need to you need to make that mistake to really learn. But um, it'd be great if you didn't have to make that mistake. And so, I think it's a totally great place to start at Coinbase for your for your journey. Um, but I do think everyone's individual goals should be to eventually understand what it means to be self custodied. Whether or not that's that's what they want to do, um, they should they should know what that means. They should know how to do it, and they should understand like what the whole point of this whole cryptocurrency thing is. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just buying it on Coinbase and you just you know forget about it, whatever, 
like, cool, like you've bought some, but are you really understanding what the purpose is behind all this? Um, so there's a spectrum of, of, of custody. And I think some people, you know, should start at the complete, um, at the complete custody level with like Coinbase or whatever else. Some should start at the, the end game with like my crypto or, you know, another wallet, um, that connects to my crypto and some fall in between. And there's, there's a whole span of like content involved, education paths involved and everything else. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting. Like, um, when, when you have a conversation about people's money, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're not that, I guess, familiar with the crypto space, I know I had this as well. I didn't realize that I didn't own my own money, <laughs> like fiat yeah. money. Yeah. Right. So I was like, in my head, I was like, well, I have money in the bank. I've earned this money, but they don't actually realize that you're doing an IOU to the bank itself. So mm-hmm. do you want to go into um, the differences between like owning your cryptocurrency and perhaps, you know, having money in the bank account and the differences between your ownership over those funds? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start with Coinbase because uh, that's, that's an example that everyone kind of knows. Understands, um, yeah. But when you make a, an account with Coinbase, you know, you get your username or your your email and your password login, very traditional stuff that people are used to. Um, and you might buy cryptocurrency by connecting your bank account or whatever else. And when you buy cryptocurrency on Coinbase, it gets um, it gets stored visually in your profile on Coinbase.com or where, or your application or whatever else. However, that cryptocurrency is actually being held in Coinbase's uh, either massive cold storage wallet or massive hot wallet. And uh, this means that even though these funds are earmarked for you visually, they're not actually held by you. And God forbid, if some major event occurred where Coinbase lost everything, then your funds would be lost along with it. Um, So this is what it means to to have someone holding custody of your funds, uh, also known as custody of like the private keys to the wallet. Um, and I will say, you know, there's an argument to be made, like Coinbase can be too big to fail. Um, Mm. and, and I would, I would probably feel relatively safe holding funds on Coinbase. I think it's a very low risk. Something, some major incident happens, but it has happened before, like with things like Mt. Gox and other exchanges where they've exit scammed or like Quadriga where, uh, the, owner is potentially dead with the private keys. Maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> 50, yeah. 50. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but, but so on the other end of the spectrum, there's like the, the self custody, which is where you have your individual wallet and your funds are in that wallet and you hold the private key to that wallet, which is the single point of access to your wallet. And if you are a, responsible individual, then, then you can safely store that private key somewhere, whether it's mm-hmm. on a piece of paper, safe somewhere in your house, whether it's uh, within a hardware wallet um, or, or anywhere else. And if, if you're an, a responsible individual, a secure individual, then no one's going to get a hold of your funds. Um, but if you're, if you're an irresponsible individual and you accidentally give your private key to someone else, or if your private keys on your computer and your computer is compromised, or if your paper wallet in your house gets burned up or destroyed by water, then that individual point of access is now gone or in someone else's hands. And that's all that all that that's all that's needed to access your funds um, and take your funds. Or if you can't access your funds ever, then they're gone forever. And yeah. there's no recovery options. Uh, you, you lose it and you're done. Whereas on Coinbase, if you lost your password, you can click forgot password. Yeah. And, and so there's a, there's a lot of risk involved with, with securing your own funds, um, but it's good to eventually learn how to do it. And I think everyone should, should strive to learn how to do it. And you know, in an ideal world, everybody would be self-custodied, um, but I know that's not necessarily feasible for everyone. How much do you think that... Um... Because I know that the whole like 
custodian route, you know, with Coinbase and all this type of stuff. Like we, we know like the, the role that Coinbase has in like, you know, onboarding people into cryptocurrency. Yeah. But I think what they're solving is more about the user experience. And when we're looking at self-custody, do you think that we'll get to a point where the user experience gets better and better, where it is kind of a easier way to store your funds? Because at the moment, and I, I see it being done more and more, um, like I know that like Trezor does a pretty good job in making it very user-friendly to store your funds completely self-sufficiently. Yeah. Um, but do you think that there's more room or like, yeah, I guess more room for the you yeah, user experience to get better mm-hmm. and better in that space? That's a good question. And it's one that we've, you know, it's, it's on our minds almost every day. Um, there are a lot of wallets in the space and a lot of wallet aggregators in the space. And I think everyone's trying things a little bit differently. Um, one of the big red flags with products that do have better UX is that um, the better UX might be in the form of um, recovery options for your for your wallets. Mm. So some people will allow you to use like face ID on your phone to unlock your wallet. Uh, some people will do a thing where they split up your, your private key, the product holds a part of your private key, you hold a part of the private key, and then there's a, a third party that holds the other part. Um, some people or some wallets will like allow you to store your private key in the browser as a method yeah. of, of easier access. And, and the red flag with a lot of these things is that they're increasing UX and reducing friction, but at the cost of, of security. Um, so I think over time, it's going to get better. Um, I think short term, it's probably, it's probably still going to be kind of rough. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that, so, so for my crypto, for example, we, we've had to make UX decisions, um, you know, every, every day for things like this. And we've kind of, um, unanimously decided that while it sucks to introduce friction to the user experience, um, if we're doing it for the sake of a more secure experience, then, then we'll do it. Um, because at some point you have to weigh what's more important to you. And my crypto, mm-hmm. we are we are super security centric, and like that's like the number one priority. And so if that's not, if that makes it a little bit more difficult for the experience, then then it is what it is. Um, I I think one cool idea in the works right now is with uh, with Argent. So they're doing they have like a method of like social recovery and. Uh, things like that. And that's kind of a cool method. Um, you know, their, their mobile app is pretty sleek UX as well. Um, and a lot of people, especially in the last couple of years, touted them as like the most UX forward uh, wallet in Ethereum. For um, self-custody? For self-custody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can connect them to my crypto as well. Um, but, but yeah, so long-term, I think we'll figure it out. Short-term, it's going to be rough. But I, but I saw a cool tweet the other day that was like, um, you know, don't make UX too easy. Don't worry about it because, you know, people figured out how to do LimeWire back in the day and download <laughs> yeah. songs. And people figured out, yeah, people figured out how <laughs> to do- Buying your first Bitcoin. <laughs> exactly. Like people figured yeah. it out, you know, like when, when, when we were kids and teenagers, whatever else, we're like burning CDs and doing all this crazy stuff and, um, you know, or torrenting or whatever else. And it's- like at, at the surface level, it's really complicated, but we all learn how to do it. Um, so why can't blockchain be in, in that similar realm? You know, um, so I, I really liked that take that I saw because it was like, hey, maybe th- maybe there is a reason to not stress about UX all the time. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's going to be that, a constant battle. Absolutely, I think that um, design, designers are going to hate me for saying this, but maybe like UX and UI in terms of like creating something completely frictionless is not as necessary as one would think. So for example, um, I remember using local Bitcoins back in the day and their UX UI was terrible, but I had a need (laughs) to like buy and sell my cryptocurrency. So well, my Bitcoin at the time. So it was, um, yeah, I I dealt with it. And also I feel like I was better for it because I learned more and more as I went. Um, But yeah, why don't you tell me about 
my crypto, like what your mission is, what exactly do you guys do? Who are the types of people that use your service? Yeah. So, um, you know, speaking kind of on the, on the, the latest point there is, is we're very security focused. So uh, my crypto at its core is kind of like a wallet aggregator. Um, so you can, you can get a wallet, whether it's MetaMask, Ledger, Trezor, or like a wallet connect based wallet. And you can connect all of those to my crypto. You can connect one account or like 50 accounts if you want to. And then you will basically, you'll see an aggregate of all your balances. You'll see a portfolio view, all this stuff. And then you can do a lot of basic functions like sending from any of your accounts, um, swapping tokens within our interface. You can interact with smart contracts. Um, there's, there's a ton of cool tools. There's like ENS domains. There's, um, you can you can do a lot of, um, like uh, a lot of tokens last year did upgrades. So like you can upgrade your uh, your rep tokens to rep V2. There's, there's a lot of different migration tools, stuff like that. Um, so at, at our core, we're like an interface for accessing your wallets and accessing Ethereum in general. Um, and we've been that for a long time, ever since mm-hmm. we were my Ether wallet back in you know, 2017 and even earlier. Um, we've kind of transformed over time as, as the industry is transformed as well. Uh, but the thing that has stayed true to us is that we are super security focused and, and everything that we do tries to make this space a little bit safer each and every day. Um, and sometimes that even means like, you know, making really hard decisions like UX decisions. Um, a good example is that on our web, on our website, you can't actually connect um, private keys or mnemonic phrases or key store files because putting, sorry, there's a car alarm going off. I don't know if you can hear it, but no, um, okay. putting those into the browser is inherently a, a bad idea. Um, all the phishing sites out there, like all the thousands of phishing sites out there will ask you for a private key and it'll ask you to put it into a website. And so that's just inherently bad. And so we, we took away that option and put it onto the desktop application. And this is an example of increasing friction um, for the sake of users' security. Uh, but so, so my crypto, we're, we're a lot wallet interface. We try to make people um, learn how to be safer, learn how to be smarter. We're very uh, education-oriented. We have a lot of content. And um, someone said it a while ago, and I, I, liked, I, I took it. Uh, but they said we're kind of like uh, Ethereum's support team, yeah. which yeah. which like is very succinct because uh, you know ever since Taylor Monahan, our CEO, began working in this space, she was all over Reddit, Twitter, and everywhere else answering all of the questions from Ethereum's users, and um, that has stuck with us throughout the years. And so all of our content is is based off of education and helping people do things. And, um, and I love it. It's yeah. awesome. It, it definitely sounds really interesting. I, um, you know, so the way that I'm kind of seeing this is that everybody has their wallets, mm-hmm. their Ethereum wallets, and they're able to connect that to my crypto wallet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you guys go about protecting? Cause it's like, it's almost like you can't really control the privacy or the security of third-party wallets that connect to you guys. How do you work around that? How do you make sure that you kind of become an ecosystem that protects users' funds mm-hmm. while connecting to third-party wallets that, you know, maybe have a different approach to, yeah, yeah crypto storage? That's a great question. Um, so historically, or so, so our original MyEtherWallet interface, back in the day before we were MyCrypto, um, had a couple different options to connect. There was like the paper wallets, MetaMask, Ledger, and Trezor. And so my crypto now, those are, those are the same options. Um, and then we added Wallet Connect. And I'd say MetaMask, Ledger, and Trezor, those are kind of just like a, a given. Like yeah. they're some of the most used products in the space. And uh, I think I think they're mostly open source. I know Ledger isn't, but um, but you can assume they're, they're safe relatively. Um and the same with Wallet Connect stuff. Uh, Wallet Connect, I don't know about all the, the specific mobile apps that utilize Wallet Connect, um, but one thing that we do to kind of protect things is that 
I don't think my crypto actually is accessing anybody's funds. We're merely like um, the like the highway that you use basically uh, to connect wallet yeah. connect. So if you were to initiate a transaction from my crypto, um, it would say, okay, please sign this message or this transaction with MetaMask. It will pop up the MetaMask thing for you or we'll say, okay, cool, to proceed, uh, scan your QR code. And so, so my crypto is not exposing any of this stuff. And uh, you bring up a really good point about, um, you know, maybe the wallet they're connecting with is insecure. And that could be like a liability on some level, right? Like if we were to endorse a wallet or, you know, say like use them with my crypto, like they're great. And then they had like some major compromise. Um, and historically, we haven't had to worry too much about that because like I said, MetaMask, Ledger, and Trezor, like they're relatively safe, um, but we are- I also think like the ones that aren't safe kind of are dead in the water pretty quickly. Yeah, you, yeah. like wallets don't really kind of like get popular if they're not secure, right? So- yeah. Right. So, so one thing we'll have to keep in mind though, is that um, we are in the process of adding support for like 50 more wallets. This is going to be like a huge initiative wow. for us. Yeah. And, um, you know, so you can connect pretty much anything you want, all the major wallets. And that's going to be something that we have to consider is, you know, do we um, make a decision not to support a certain wallet because of certain concerns that we have? And does having the ability to, to connect with this wallet, does that equal an endorsement of sorts? Mm. And um, generally, I would say no. We'll probably have we'll probably have language that says, "Hey, if you see this wallet on our site, it's not an endorsement. We're just we're just open source, and you can do whatever yeah. you want with my crypto." Essentially, um, and this is the same stance we take with uh, the tokens that we that we show on the site. Um, I think our token list is up to a couple thousand, and uh, surely some of them are scams. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so whenever someone requests us to add a token to our list, I'll say, Hey, we're more than happy to add this, but just FYI, like, we're not going to be like, Oh, we're your partner now. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's just all open more source. about, yeah. Connectability. Um, mm -hmm. okay. That's great. So that's on the storage side of things. Mm -hmm. What about the, like the features of manageability? Cause I'm, what I'm kind of understanding here is that you get data from all these wallets, you as a wallet yourself can kind of talk to these different wallets and move funds around. Um, do you guys have any features that allow people to like understand this data better or what are the main features besides from storage? So, um, so yeah, people will connect all their wallets and then they can see all of their wallet information. Um, so we'll, we'll show them all their tokens in their wallet. We'll show them all their balances. We'll show them all their addresses. Um, we don't do much with like the the actual data except for present it to them in a way that is clean and like allow them to combine all their balances across all their wallets into into one balance if they want to because uh, they might have like 10 metamask wallets and a, a ledger and a treasure and instead of watching all those separately you can see everything in a, in one aggregated portfolio view um we don't do much with the data itself but what we do uh, is we'll also re reverse resolve for ENS names. So if you have an ENS address attached to your 0x address, uh, we can show you when it's going to expire. We can show yeah. you what the name is. We can show you what account it's attached to. And um, we're actually expanding our support for ENS a little bit further right now. But we also support unstoppable domains. So if you have like a .crypto domain or whatever else, then it'll it'll display as well. Um and, and on the data side, I, I do want to note we don't actually collect any data because um, I, you know, we have we would have the ability to, but we're very privacy oriented, so we don't collect anything like your addresses, your IP addresses. We don't collect your transaction hashes or any sort of user identifiable information, um, which a lot of people in this space are collecting it. And yeah. I. Uh, think they should be called out more often that that's very interesting that um you know usually um you know other 
I guess, like projects out there that are collecting this type of information, Mm -hmm. they're doing it mostly for marketing purposes, I'm assuming, so that they can like grow their base. How do you guys go about your marketing um, and like growing your community essentially without, you know, having to compromise user information? Well, it's not easy. Um, It's it's definitely a totally different arena because a lot of the tools that you'd have in traditional fields are not available to you in cryptocurrency. And so, you know, what traditional marketing marketing allows you to do is to know who your customer is, Mm -hmm. uh, to to know the demographics, to know where they're from. We don't know a lot of that stuff. And so we have to rely on our community efforts and our communications and our support tickets and everything else to get an idea of who we're working with. Um, That's why I think community has been very important for us since day one because it kind of just naturally occurred, but also we realized that the community is so much more valuable than just being people interacting with us. Um, and a good example of this is where we might have to push a survey out to our newsletter list or to our Twitter audience or Discord or whatever else and ask our users, hey, like, who are you? What do you do? Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you want in this space? Um, and so that requires a little more footwork than, than it would require if you were to have like, you know, the crazy full Google Analytics suite, whatever else. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very unique thing. Um, and it does make my job a little bit harder, um, but it feels more rewarding when we're able to succeed even without some of those tools. Um, but it has been a lot of, a lot of learning for me as well, because I do come from a, you know, traditional industries where, where I had all these tools at my disposal and I'm kind of like, had to learn how to walk again a little bit. Um, and I think that's one of the, one of the conversations that doesn't happen very often is conversations about marketing in this space. Um, because a lot of people don't really care about privacy. They they don't, they don't care about marketing, like traditionally, it's not really, you have to know your part, uh, your customer, you have to know yeah. your marketing to a lot of that is data collection, mm-hmm. um, you know, either knowingly or unknowingly. Yeah. And a lot of people are still collecting that data. Uh, they're not all like my crypto and they're not all privacy minded. And um, I wish there were more people who were privacy minded, you know, privacy is one of our core tenets. And I think a lot of people one day they'll talk about how amazing cryptocurrency is and like everything that it enables. And then the next day they'll be like, here, take all my information. I'm using this website, like yeah, have it all. And, and I'm not, I'm even, I, I do that sometimes. Like I'm not, I'm nowhere near perfect. Um, so it's more, it's more of like a do as I say, not as I do type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's overall, it's a very important thing to, to talk about and highlight more. That's amazing. Um, just before we jump into the demo, yeah. you know, if anybody wants to learn more about my crypto or join your community, how would they find you guys? So uh, we are primarily on Twitter, uh, as a lot of crypto Twitter seems to be, or well, crypto Twitter obviously is on Twitter, but a lot of cryptocurrency is on yeah. Twitter. Uh, we are just on Twitter at my crypto. Uh, we also have a Discord server, a Telegram server. We have a newsletter list. And all of these things are accessible via the footer on mycrypto.com. Um, and if anybody wants to learn more uh, or you know read more about anything, we have a an awesome blog at blog.mycrypto.com, and we also have a a wealth of knowledge in our knowledge base at support.mycrypto.com, and that includes my crypto stuff. It, inc- it includes very basic Ethereum level stuff. And it's a great place to kind of start your journey. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Absolutely. Okay, let's get into the demo. Hey guys, so we are here with Jordan from mycrypto.com and he's going to be running through um, my crypto wallet and everything that we can get from it. But before that, he's going to show us cryptoscamdb.org, which I believe is something that my crypto is working on, right? Yeah. So um, as part of my crypto being very security centric. Uh, we do a lot of anti-phishing, anti-scam content as well. And um, Crypto Scam DB is kind of like an arm of my crypto. It's like under the umbrella of my crypto projects. And um, what it is in, in a nutshell 
it's a open source list of scams. And when, when you hear open source list of scams, it's kind of like uninspiring, but it's a lot. Um, That's a lot to take it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So at its core, it's just a list of scams. And, but what that means though, is uh, I guess what's more important is, is what we do with this list of scams. Um, and so anybody that has MetaMask installed, um, if, if they've ever visited like a questionable website that's known as a scam or potentially a scam, they would see this, this like big roadblock. And this is provided by MetaMask uh, saying, hey, this is known to be a scam or whatever else. And what's cool is that this, this list of scams that we maintain, this informs MetaMask's um, roadblock. And uh, what's cool is that you know, MetaMask has like over 5 million monthly users. And so essentially this, this scam list that we're maintaining um, you know, helps to protect millions of users. Um, wow. So does which, that mean that, um, you know, you guys add scams to this open source database mm -hmm. and then wallets like MetaMask kind of retrieve the data from that and yeah. they're able to like kind of put up this warning before somebody goes onto a site? Yeah, absolutely. And so, so this, this uh, page right here, this is like the, the raw list of scams. And so Ooh, that's a lot. A, yeah. So there's the first part of this list. I'm trying to find out where it is. Like the first part of this list is a, it's a white list of addresses, which basically um, says, Hey, these addresses, like, don't, don't worry about them. Um, but once you get here to this 740 line, these are, this is a, just a pure list of scams that we're aware of. And this grows like every single day because we get people reporting scams. We have a, a really kick-ass head of security who finds scams like all day long. And there's literally tons and tons and tons of scams in this space. These, all these sites right now are sites that at some point have tried to scam somebody. Um, wow. So how do you guys identify, is it, is it purely on a community base where the community reports that these are scam websites or, you know, does your like head of security kind of, how does he identify scams? Because obviously this is like a little bit off topic, but, but I think that it's really important for people to know um, yeah. maybe how they can protect themselves against scams. Like what should they be looking out for? Yeah. So, so the best way to protect themselves, first of all, is to uh, install MetaMask or another extension that uh, is informed by this list uh, because they will then like roadblock you if you're going to visit a questionable site. Um, but the way that this list gets added to is kind of all of the above. So it's, it's not only user reports, uh, it might be reports on Twitter. Um, but one of the biggest things that we utilize to add scams to this list is a, it's a thing called a, a Levenstein distance. <laughs> What which <laughs> it's, I know it's, it's crazy. So, so basically um, if you have mycrypto.com being a whitelisted site, which means it's not a scam, um, you can set this thing called the Levenstein or Levenstein distance uh, to a factor of, of two, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, it's a number. And so if mycrypto.com is safe and then there's a website my crypto, my cryptos with a Z.com. Um, then I think uh, that one additional letter, it that like kind of like triggers like something that's saying, hey, this this is so similar to a whitelisted address that it's it must be a scam yeah. or it must be a fake site. Um, and I may have gotten that mixed up. It might be like one letter or two, but you can set a certain um, distance. Whereas if if there's an address that is within like a couple of characters of a whitelisted address, then it's going to flag it as a potential mm. scam. Um, and so this is a, an easy way to, um, to add scams to these lists. And I'll scroll down. You can see like, you can see here, like local Bitcoins, right? Like you've, yeah. you've used them before. And yeah. it's just th small little changes there. Like, yeah, there's tiny changes. Instead of a C, it's a K and it's like, I mean, look at all these. Yeah, it's, it's really, um, if you just, like, you know, people, they just kind of look at things very quickly. And mm -hmm. if you're not paying attention to like a simple thing, like what the URL is, like you could yeah. be really easily on a site that looks exactly like what you're used to. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just a couple of 
yeah, a couple of letters that are that are different. Yeah, and and so yeah, I just wanted to show this off because this list is like it's up to like thirteen or fourteen thousand. Um, I love it. It's a, like, like I think it's initiatives like this that are like that keep people safe. It keeps like, a community. Yeah. Um, where they want to be. Yeah, and, and and so this is something that's just kind of you know it's it's important to us. I'm kind of wanted to show it off because you know we're trying to trying to give it some more love lately. Um, so this, yeah, is, this a, is a my crypto initiative. Yeah, yeah. So on, so we have kind of like our mission statement on this on the Crypto Scheme DB site, and at the bottom, you know, a little powered by my crypto logo. Um, but if you were to go to mycrypto.com, which we'll do here in a second, uh, and you go to the footer, you'll see it under a list of other products. Yeah, um, so that's yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, so so we have a lot of anti scam, anti phishing initiatives that um, you know we want to kind of shed more light on because you know this thing is kind of it's protecting millions of users every day and they may not even be aware of it, you know? Um, so kind of cool, but very cool. Getting, yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think it's um, very cool. I'm glad that I'll, you showed uh, us this because it's, yeah. um, you know, anybody, you know, like prosper podcast and like, you know, prosper app and like that. It's all about kind of expanding your view on personal finance and where it can go, but it doesn't ignore the fact that this is, like very, very new and anything that's new has a certain amount of risk to it. So yeah. any initiatives like this, like really help users to, I guess, like understand and be more aware. Yeah. And, and, and a, a crazy thing to note about this is that you will see on that list, you'll see uh, fake versions of both centralized custodial sites and decentralized non-custodial sites. Um, whereas, you know, you might see like a fake my ether wallet or fake my crypto on there and that fake version would ask for your private key but mm. you might also see a fake version of coinbase on that list and that fake version of coinbase will ask you for your your email and your password oh, um yeah. so you know no matter where you're at in the spectrum of decentralization and, and custody like there are people out there trying to make a victim out of you and, and part you know part you and your funds um so it's a little bit unnerving sometimes to, to realize how, how dangerous this entire industry can be. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's why we're taking it so seriously, you know? Yeah, that's great. Let's, yeah. let's hop into the, my crypto dashboard. Yeah. So, so this is kind of like the bread and butter of my crypto. Uh, this is the, the dashboard that you would see when you've added accounts to my crypto and you can add, uh, your own accounts or you can add literally any, Ethereum address you want to, to kind of track the balances of it. So you could add like Vitalik's address here if you wanted to. Um, and you could see his billions of dollars of Shiba Inu or whatever he has <laughs> still. Um, but what's cool is that we support uh, not only Ethereum, but we support any chain that's based on Ethereum or based on the Ethereum virtual machine, like, uh, like Polygon, um, Binance Smart Chain, uh, XDAI, and a couple of others. And you can add all of your accounts across all of your networks to my crypto at the same time. Um, so you'll see here, like I have, I have an account here on, on the Ethereum network and I have the same account here on the Polygon network and on the Smart Chain network. And I can see the balances individually for each of those, or I can see all of my balances combined. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing. And then if you want to connect other accounts, you go to the add button here. And then it asks you how you want to access your assets. And then this is the uh, the wallet options that someone would be, would be familiar with, like MetaMask, Ledger, Trezor, or Wallet Connect. Um, or you can just view an address if you want to. And so this is what we're going to be expanding in the near future um, to offer like 50 plus wallets. And we're going to change this whole screen so there's like a filtering system and all this stuff so it's easy to sort through them. Um, but once you have your accounts added to my crypto, you can do a lot of different things. You can you can save your settings, and saving your settings will um, it'll download a JSON file that basically just says, "Hey, I have these accounts added to my crypto. Um, I have these balances, whatever else." So you can import that in a different browser if you wanted to, and that's all non-private stuff. We don't store any private keys or anything like that. It's all just service level stuff. Um, what you can also do is you can exchange assets within my crypto. So you just go to the swap page, uh, you choose the, the network you want to exchange on. So we implemented support for Polygon Smart or Polygon and Smart Chain. Um, and you can exchange on any of those networks that you, that you have tokens for. Um, 
there's a request funds pay. Oh, that's actually looks like that's broken right now. Um, but there's a lot of different tools here. So you can sign messages, you can verify them. There's contract interactions. So there's kind of like a whole list of things you can do. And um, we have tools for the more developer-based audience who are technical and want to do things with smart contracts. And we also have tools for the basic, you know, the, the more uh, novice users, I might say. And so we try and kind of, you know, make everybody happy. And uh, I would say, though, that between the two types of, of audiences, um, we want to focus more on like the, the newer users uh, because I view my crypto as kind of like a, a way to step your toes into the pool of decentralization and self-custody. Um, and my crypto might be a good place for a user to begin their journey after leaving Coinbase or something like that. Yeah. Um, because we try and walk people through things very smoothly. We have a lot of tool tips that are explaining things and we're happy to hold your hands as you kind of explore that. Um, one thing I touched on earlier is that uh, in the past, we removed the option to um, to insert private keys and key store files and mnemonic phrases into the website because of the inherent risk. And um, in exchange, we created a desktop application that allows those things specifically. Um, so I'm going to share, I'm going to stop sharing this, this browser window and I'll share the, um, I will share the desktop application real quick and show you that as well. That'd be great. So the desktop app is right here. So yeah, we can see it. So this interface is, it's similar to the web interface when it's asking you how you want to connect. And so there are some familiar options here at Ledger and Trezor. Uh, the Parity Signer is a, uh, a mobile app created by Parity a while back, um, and then you can use the, you know, the less recommended options like the like the raw paper wallets here. Mm. And so this is a place where you can, um, you know, you can safely use your paper wallets, private keys, key stores, mnemonics. Um, and once you do that, uh, I don't actually have a paper wallet to access right now. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a lot of people in in the industry. And they prefer using our desktop application for their cold storage purposes. Um, Ledger and Trezor are generally safe, you know, wherever you want to use it. But for like the cold, cold storage, like on paper, um, people choose to use my crypto for their cold storage because uh, because they know how security minded we are and they know how much we don't want them to lose their funds. Um, one downside of having two separate applications is that um, there's no connection between the two that they, they yeah. kind of live on their own. And um, you know, my crypto allows you to connect all these wallets, but you can't actually interact with uh, dApps from my crypto and you can't use your private keys with all the cool features on the website. And so right now we're working on a, a newer version of the desktop application that's going to kind of bridge the two and um so would that like mm -hmm. i guess like on a high level understanding it would mean that from your dashboard which from my my crypto dashboard that essentially mm -hmm. acts almost like cold storage i could then connect it to my crypto on web which is somewhat of a hot storage is that yeah kind of <laughs> yeah yeah so so um the web app dashboard it's less of like a wallet, more of like an interface, whereas the desktop application is more of like a wallet. And uh, because you can actually make wallets on the desktop application, whereas you can't make a wallet on the website since uh, the only way to make wallets is, is with like a mnemonic phrase or a key store or whatever else. Um, so to, to bridge that um, and to be able to use your private keys and, and key stores with not only my crypto, on on the web, but also with other uh, decentralized applications like you know Uniswap and Compound and whatever else, we're making a new application that's almost going to be like a MetaMask alternative. Um, and there's a lot of work to be done on this still, but um, we're calling it the the desktop 
transaction signer. And it can get a little bit complicated uh, to, to wrap your head around, but basically what this application is gonna do, uh, it's gonna replace this current desktop application. And it's going to say, um, you're gonna initiate a transaction from the web application. And then the desktop signer is gonna be like, hey, we saw a request for you to mm -hmm. sign this transaction with your private key. Like, do you wanna do this? And then you'll click yes. And then it'll, it'll, the application will sign a transaction for you and then it'll broadcast it to my crypto. And um, the way it does that is like magic. I can't yeah. explain it right now. Um, <laughs> and, and long story short, it allows you to use this little desktop application that stores your wallets safely with the website. And then, and then in the future, it'll also allow you to do the same thing with like Uniswap. And so right now on Uniswap, when you go to do a swap, it'll pop up MetaMask. Mm -hmm. And an alternative in the future would be it might pop up the MyCrypto signer application instead. And so it's a little bit more of like a technical, um, you know, more friction added MetaMask. But the, what's important is that it's going to be an alternative to MetaMask. And MetaMask is aware of this too. We've, we've talked to them about this and we're working with them. And um, we're, we're, you know, we're telling them working our ideas. Working alongside, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want anybody to think like, oh, we're working with MetaMask. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we have to kind of figure out how do we want to um, walk people through this entire flow because when I'm talking about it, it sounds very, very complicated. And I've had well, I think you're kind of like showing more about step by step, but when somebody's actually doing it in the yeah. action itself, it would be much more simplified. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Like and, whenever uh, I'm yeah. interacting with MetaMask and I try to explain it to other people, whether it be like yield farming or whatever, it's very, very complicated. But when you actually show them how it works, it's all kind of you're receiving the information step by step rather yeah. than kind of like getting every piece of information at, at one time. That's a fair point. And, and, a, and a good way to kind of wrap it up concisely is that um, MetaMask is fantastic, uh, but being a browser extension kind of opens you up to a couple of different attack vectors and nothing is perfect. And so our, our new desktop designer application that we're working on will kind of allow you to do the things that MetaMask does, but from the safety of like a, a desktop application and not within the browser. Um, so it gives us more options to keep people even safer than MetaMask can. Um, but I do love MetaMask and I will always yeah, I mean, love as them. like, I, I think the main thing you said like this whole time is that everything has its place and there mm -hmm. is a spectrum. And I'm sure there's plenty of users out there that are using MetaMask that are like, you know, I'm not that comfortable with that level of security. I'd love to use yeah. something for my crypto. And in this space, what works best is when you have something for everybody. But yeah. um, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Um, it's Absolutely. been wonderful having you on Prosper Podcast. Um, <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you personally, how do they find you? So uh, I'm on all the platforms. Um, my main platform is Twitter. So I'm, I'm twitter.com slash Spence coin. So it's just my last name with the word coin at the end. Um, <laughs> and I'm on discord as well, telegram, all the things. So feel free to reach out with any questions about Ethereum, about my crypto, about anything. And I'm an open book. Awesome. Thank you so much. I will leave uh, Jordan's information in the description box below. Other than that, have a lovely rest of the day. And thank you so much for coming on Prosper Podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.